Welcome to the Drunk Guys Book Club, where books aren't just for school, where book clubs aren't just for women. Y la cerveza lo hace todo mejor. <laughs> We're the drunk guys. Oh no, I fucking, you, you spangled my mind. I'm Mike. <laughs> I'm Nate. I'm Jimmy. And we are the drunk guys. Nos somos los guapos borrachos. <laughs> I think it means cool guys or beautiful Jimmy, men. Jimmy, Jimmy, use that semester it. abroad to peak perfection. It was like two semesters. Dos? It was dos semesters. <laughs> dos semestros. <laughs> I don't think that's the word, but you it know, might you be. Fool us. And we're not even <laughs> drunk yet. And this week we're reading The Shadow of the Wind by Carlos Ruiz Zafon. And I apologize for not saying any Spanish words right for the rest of the episode. I never took Spanish. Sorry. So it's going to be really, really white sounding. Lo siento. And I think we should start with a beer. I, I have to... I think I have, I have the most beers. I'm going to drink one. So this book was uh, written in, published in 2001 and by Zafon, who is a Spanish writer. Uh, and it was translated to English in 2004. Uh, and as it's pretty confusing. At many points in the book, I found myself going like, what? Or as they would have said in <laughs> Spanish, K? This is called Watermelon K. By... <laughs> Spelled a little differently, but you get the point. Just the letter K. Uh, the C-A-Y, like the body of water. Like an inlet. Like a key? Uh, yeah, but it's pronounced, it's, it's spelled C-A-Y, so I'm going to pronounce it K for this purpose. Uh, so this is Watermelon K or Watermelon Key, but for the purpose of my joke, I'm going to stick with K, which, by the way, uh, if you look it up on the dictionary, which I just did, that's the first pronunciation that's listed. This is from Tilted Barn Brewing, which we've had some stuff before. I don't know if it came out yet. So this is a double IPA, which I'm really disappointed because it says Watermelon K or Key. But it doesn't actually have watermelon in it. Like it's what? Like maybe that's a place in Rhode Island. Does it have a different kind of melon? No, it doesn't have any melon. At least according to the can, it's just like this is just a, it's bursting with a dankness. You know, like the usual crap they write on there. And there's no discernible. Uh, that's just confusing, right? So yeah, it, it is. It is eight and a half percent alcohol, double IPA. Didn't really tell you any details about it, but it does not, according to their website, include watermelon, and certainly doesn't taste like it. So I'm guessing that's a body of a place in Rhode Island, which, you know, if you blink, you'll drive right past it. So who knows? It's a great IPA. You know, I'd give it a solid B. It's a little dry for my taste, like for this cloudy New England style. But maybe that's because watermelon K dried up. I don't know. Uh, But anyway, after that digression, we'll start with this book. So somebody recommended this to us. And typical uh, drunk guys, we forgot who. So thanks, person. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Hope you still listen. Keep those recommendations coming. Uh, we, we have instituted a system where we might write them down going forward. We'll see. So this is a complex novel that follows on uh, the surface is the story of Daniel Sem- Sempere. I don't know. I don't yeah, know. probably. And he is a... He start of it, he's like 10. 10-year-old boy who lives in Barcelona with his... Father, Senor Sempere. <laughs> I don't even know if he gets a name. Does he get a name in the book? Like Mr. Sempere, right? Maybe his name is also know, Daniel. Yeah. But anyway, uh, he's just like the dad. The mom is dead, and they the dad uh, owns a bookshop, and the kid kind of works at the bookshop when he's not at school, I guess. And he takes his son to the, the uh, cemetery of forgotten books, right? Which sounds like the worst Yes album. It's <laughs> fucking <laughs> it sounds really like pretentious by their standards. 
but it's this enormous labyrinth of books, which we normally would just call a library, but it's a, <laughs> giant, a giant space full of shelves of books. What else would you call that? Uh, that the, you know, the dedicated book pre- preservationists of Spain collect books here that would have been discarded or not loved, and they just pr- they hold on to them. And on your first trip to the cemetery, you get to take a book home with you. Just like when you go to a real cemetery, you get to take. Uh, <laughs> so, um, so he goes in and they're like, go pick a book. Choose wisely. There's like 10 million books here, which I kind of didn't understand. How, how big is this place? Because there's a couple scenes when he returned to it in the book. And he's like, just bewilderingly lost and has to like create like trailblazes so he could find his way back to certain shelves i have to imagine it's pretty big like who's paying the rent on this like who this 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 space well it's it's that rich guy who's really in it does it just for just just because he feels like it and he said when someone comes in and they they clearly are an avid reader but they look like they don't don't they can't pay He'll either give them a very cheap price for this, you know, incredibly rare book, one of a kind book, or just give it away. So I forget his name. That guy was that Barcelo? Yes, Barcelo. We're going to meet him in a second. But first, Daniel picks a book, and he picks. A Wait, was it Barcelo? Because Barcelo doesn't run the place, but he's one of the bookseller oh, guys that they're like involved in their mm-hmm. like okay gentleman's club of because book he wants the book Julian finds. Yeah, but okay. So Julian finds a book called. The Shadow of the Wind, which I think is a very poetic term for a skid mark in your uh, underpants. <laughs> <laughs> sounds much better in Spanish. Shadow of the Wind. <laughs> <laughs> like when you shart, it's a shadow of the wind. Um, so he finds this book, He takes and, everyone, and his dad's like, cool, that's a great book. He's and he takes ten. this book home and he reads through it. And he's like, this is the greatest book ever. And he's like, I want to know more about this author, Julian Carax, who wrote it. And Daniel wants to find out anything about him. And and everybody, his dad's like, I don't know. You have to go ask Barcelo, the other book seller slash aficionado, who's also just really, really rich. And the guy's like, I will buy this book for me right now for many pesetas. I don't know what he offered him, but uh, mucho dinero. And then he's like, no, it's not for sale. He's like, I will double it. He's like, no. He's like, well, then come to my house, and I let me look at it for a while in another room, and if I give it back and some pages are stuck together, don't worry about it. But it's basically what happens, uh, and I will tell you everything I know about the book. And so he goes to Don Barcelo's house and immediately kind of like stops giving a shit about the book because Barcelo has a really hot daughter uh, who's blind. So and older. And older. So she's, but she's just really hot and knows a lot about the, is also a fan of the same, of the same author. But would you, would you call her, uh, the daydreamiest? I almost used this other half beer. (laughs) But then I drank it. (laughs) This is the daydreamiest by other half. This is, which is a beer I've used before, but I got some more, so I'm using it again. This is a 10.5% oat cream India pale ale. And like before, it is very nice. This is really, really good. Still don't know what the oat cream is about, but. 
No, me neither. I would also say that the daydreamiest applies to like a lot of characters in this book. That's fair. It's like everyone is either hideously ugly or just so fucking beautiful or the daydreamiest. Maybe Daniel was hoping that since she's blind, she wouldn't know how hot she was. Like she's never seen it. And then she could, he could be like, you're not, you're like, you're like a Barcelona six. And then (laughs) he could like weasel his way in there. (laughs) She's like, oh, really? For that? And, (laughs) but he immediately is smitten with her and, uh, they kind of have like a weird, he's like immediately banished to the friend zone uh, because he's 10 and she's like, I don't know, 20. But she, but they have like a weird friend oh, zone yeah. hard. <laughs> Terminal friend zone. That's what I was going to say. So they form this weird, like sort of like old, I mean, from his perspective, it's like he's trying to work, develop some sort of game to talk. Like hopefully she'll realize that he's there all along, like in an 80s movie kind of thing. And She's like, he's a cute He's like, hey, I'm over here because she's blind. Oh, you were there all along. (laughs) (laughs) But he comes over and he reads her from, reads to her from the book. uh, And then they talk about whatever. And then she like plays piano and they go on. Yeah, she sucks at piano. Uh, Even though she's been taking lessons with this guy who's like a great composer. Uh, I forgot what his name is. He's been giving her lessons. Oh, but. In the butt, perhaps. (laughs) We'll get to there. (laughs) So even though Daniel is the main character, a lot of the book is about him trying to discover like who this author is and why there's only one copy of this book and a lot of other strange things happened. A lot of it, he's almost not the main character. It's almost like this half of the book is actually finding out, is actually like the actual story of the backstory of... Julian Carax and all of his stuff in sort of like his generation, finding out about this generation that came before. That's one of the questions I want to get to at the end is like, what genre would you call this book? So funny you should say that because right at the beginning, the first like reading the first chapter, I thought it was going to be fantasy because there's all this stuff about, oh, books are magical and then the right book finds you and and all this stuff. And it's like, oh, this is going to be something about fucking magical books. But then it wasn't. There was no other magic in the rest of the thing. So I'm like, oh, okay, maybe there's going to be magic in this part. No, there's just no magic at all. We'll get back to that question. Uh, but it, it, at least one candidate for what genre it is, is this is a mystery book. Because mm. they're trying to figure out what happened to Julian Carrick's. And they find out right away that his book, the reason why Barcelo wants to purchase it is because this book, Cop book, The Shadow of the One, is extremely rare. Perhaps this is the last copy in existence. And nobody really seems to know all the details. There's a lot of myth. And this is, you know, of course, 1940s Spain. So there's no, like, Google to look shit up. You just have to ask a person <laughs> if they know. And they have to ask Jeeves. They have to ask Jeeves, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Jeeves knew about the same amount. Ouch. They're like, Jeeves, I have a... Pregunta? <laughs> uh <laughs> and that's is that question? Um, yeah. So they go around, and he has to, you know, find information. But it kind of like doesn't matter because he's just smitten with the girl. And years go by, and um, he eventually I forget the detail. Oh yeah, he's like walking around, and then some guy. I'm not, I'm not get the details right here. The night when he like meets Furman, and <laughs> I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's just really funny he, as Furman. Well, what the hell the fuck do you say that guy's name? I'm sure it's Fermin. Fermin. I'm not saying Fermin. Fuck that. He's coming from Clara's house and uh, this guy who oh, is this really birthday. scary looking it's guy. It's his fucking birthday dinner and he invited her and she didn't show up. Oh, yes, that's right. Um, this scary looking guy comes up to him like on the street and this guy has like his face is just like he has no, it's just been burned away. I mean, he's somehow still alive, but and he has he's no got lips a, or, eyebr- or eyela- uh, eyelids or presumably hair. And he calls himself, I forget the name he calls himself, but what he calls himself Kane is... Cain Lub- Lubert? Something like that? Lubricated Cain, I think is... Oh, God. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of weird sex stuff in this. Oh, quite a bit, yes. Uh, co- uh, he Lane calls himself... Coubert. <laughs> Lane Coubert, who is a character from the book Shadow of the Wind, and he's the evil guy. He literally is like this devil. In this book, and for so Daniel is thinking this book that I love, you know, when I've read a bazillion times, the character is like out in the real world and he's attacking me. And he's like, Where's the book? You have the copy of the book. And Daniel, of course, kind of lies and says, I don't have it, or you know, I don't know where I gave it away, or something like that. It's like you, you liar. And he's like, and that blind chick has it. <laughs> like he he like knows a lot of details as if he's been st- you know, watching Daniel. The blind chick has it, and What's it, so what good is it to her? It's not Braille. <laughs> <laughs> and so Daniel immediately like freaks out. I was like, "Oh my god, he's Clara! It's it's a Friday night. She's home all alone at this time because her father goes out to something." So he rushes back to her house, to her house, not back to her. He rushes to her house. And sort of like he knows how to let himself in. And he's like, it's all quiet. And he's like, is is the man there? I don't know. And he like goes listening and he goes upstairs. And oh my God, I hear a sound coming from Clara's room. Then he opens the door and it's Clara fucking her music teacher. Like, Oops. Uh, and then the music teacher is like, she... Clara doesn't notice, you know, because she's blind. Uh, <laughs> but the music teacher like, what the fuck? I'll be right back. And then beats the shit out of Daniel. Like, what are you doing? At this point, he's 12, 14. Like that, yeah. I don't know. Still, still old enough to know young. what's happening, but yes, still a very much a kid. And just like punches him in the face, hits him a couple times and like, get the fuck out. Because the music teacher, much like almost every character in this book was looking for a little something, something. Man, we haven't had a little something something on this podcast in a long time. I checked and it was uh, episode eight. Outliers, I think. Outliers, yeah. And I had these oh, around. Wow. And I was like, it actually, that that really works because everyone in this book is horny as fuck. This is a little something something from Lagunitas. You've seen it. Everyone's seen it. It's been around forever. Seven and a half IPA, I guess, right? From But like an old kind. So well, They are from California. So should be West Coast. That's, you know, it's fine. It's not crazy bitter. 64.2 IBUs, it says. Sure. <laughs> not not overwhelming. Very light and nice and totally cool and objectionable. We should say that these, uh, this beer is brought to us by our uh, friends over at Patreon, who may have suggested this book. Uh, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> if you want to support the podcast financially, head over to patreon.com slash drunk guys book club, where you can give us money and get all sorts of things like early access to the podcast, exclusive content, vote in our monthly book poll, and and so much more. But there's no time to tell you here because there's another 
2,000 pages of book to get through. So head over to patreon.com slash drunk guys book club if you are interested. So he walks out, uh, he being Daniel, walks out after getting pimp slapped by uh, the music teacher guy, which clearly this was like, speaking as someone who has taught guitar lessons at some point in my life, the coolest night of that music teacher's life was, <laughs> was like banging this hot girl and then I beat the shit out of a guy. And then I banged her more. Child, <laughs> I, but like, like I beat. Like, it was a total, total victory. Like that guy did not even raise a. Like, oh, I kicked the shit out of him. I don't care if it was a kid. And I'm sure that that guy like wrote some fucking lame piece of music about it later. Got my rocks on it, on and off. <laughs> and he's like, "Don't come back here again. <laughs> Look what you've started." I'm gonna I regretted beat. it immediately. <laughs> not really though. And he. Beat over, he beats him over and over again. And I'm trying to get a Beethoven one in there. Anyway. He, he hit him with a shoe, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's so... <laughs> you. <laughs> okay. Um, so then there was this homeless guy that uh, Daniel passed on the way in who was like, can I just sleep in the lobby? And he was like, no bum. And then he ignored him. But then he comes out, and the homeless guy's like, whoa, you've had a night. I'm homeless, so I could tell you're in bad shape right now. Have some of my shitty wine with me. And they drink some Thunderbird or whatever on the street there. And uh, It's a cold 45. It's, yeah, it's, it's St. <laughs> Ides. And they, <laughs> the guy is, this is Fermin, apparently. But I was calling him Fermin the whole time. Because <laughs> uh, I don't know how to say Spanish words. And Fermin is just a, a fucking smooth-talking dude who has all sorts of stories about things. And he's like, oh, I used to have a job doing whatever till basically the revolution or the Civil War happened. And then I got denounced and tortured. And now I'm homeless. But don't worry. I'll be all right. And the kid's like, you know, how about you come work at our bookstore? Because, you know, you can't really a, steal much. A few much. days later... <laughs> A few days when Daniel does get home, and then a few days later, he's like, the father's like, you know, we have kind of a lot of business. We could use some new, we could use some more help. And Daniel's like, I know the fucking gross homeless guy who was nice to me. The only other person I know. Well, he knows Tomas. Tomas. Who yeah. gets mentioned, like, you, by the time you meet Tomas, it's like the emperor in Star Wars. Like, you don't see him until like the <laughs> end of the third movie. Like, they, they, but they talk about him constantly. Like they're they're talking about Tomas a shitload, and they're like, "Hey, is your pal Tomas coming over?" I don't know, Dad, but he is your best friend. He is my best friend. Now let's not talk about him for twenty-seven pages again. Well, for all those times he was busy trying to smash for anything that moved. Pages. Tomas was or Daniel. No, no, no. Or, every, or everybody in to, Spain, by the look Daniel of this book. Daniel was trying... Everyone in Spain was trying to smash everyone else in Spain, but mainly Daniel in this section. That was like, you never see Tomas anymore. Always trying to bang that blind lady who definitely doesn't want to bang you. How funny it would be if you like when the music teacher guy's like, what the fuck? And you like, hey, hey, tag me in. She won't know. <laughs> <laughs> just, just... It'll be it'll like a goof. <laughs> oh, but punked. We got you. <laughs> it's spunked. Spunked. <laughs> naturally of course he gets work there he starts working with them and uh it's the guy's like a perfect fit for their business of their you know weird sitcom that they're starting to create of like three bachelors in a bookshop and they all hang out there but then fermine starts banging the maid from the blind girl's house and that's like 
It was like years later too. Yeah, like a lot of stuff. Like a lot of time it goes another on. Time jump for like five years. Daniel's like nineteen all of a sudden. Yeah, but he's banging Bern- Bernarda, the the maid who's you know whatever. And like we get, there's this, we're skipping a lot of stuff in the book where there's tons of backstory for characters. Like you learn that indeed Fermin has clearly been tortured. Like he has the physical scars of of torture at whatever the fuck castle it was that I did, I did Wikipedia it and was a real place that was used during the civil war for torturing people among other things. That's all I learned about the civil war from this. I mean, there's a lot of French, <laughs> the Spanish civil war stuff in the book, but since I have zero, um, like historical schema in which to place that, like, I just don't know shit about it. Like, it's just one of those things that they never teach us, at least in New York city, never public schools Mm-mm, in the nineties and two thousands everywhere. Maybe Spain, <laughs> probably Spain. Like, I know sh- the only thing I knew about the Spanish Civil War was that Franco became the dictator and he didn't die till the 70s. And that he was like cool enough with Hitler that he didn't have to. They, that's why Spain basically sat out World War II. And then, yeah. like, they bombed a whole bunch of people at Guernica because I took an art history class. <laughs> like, that's all I, that's everything I know. And now from the book, I know there was also a castle involved. Uh, <laughs> a castle and planes. What war is this? It's like, what? This sounds awesome. I mean, I have a Spanish Civil War book that I put on my Kindle, and I was like, I should learn about this. And then, like, every time I even flip past it, I'm like, um, no, I'm going to go read another <laughs> dumb book about, like, the haunted vagina. <laughs> like, what has something? I'll rather read Ask Goblins of Auschwitz again than sit through 800 dense pages of Spanish history where I know nothing and just have to work that hard. It's it is a hard one. Did you know anything about Nate? You also are a history person, and you yes, were, you were there for very the history. little, very little about the Spanish Civil War. I mean, besides that, it happened, <laughs> and that it was it's not a hoax. It happened, but like my my knowledge doesn't go much deeper than that. Um, that it happened. I know it was thought of as a dress rehearsal for World War Two, at least in terms of you know the the technology they were using. Didn't but, Orwell like? joined to fight yeah. in it he uh, a whole bunch book, of people. homage to catalonia is about his experience in the spanish civil war fighting for the anarchists and i believe i had to read a excerpt from that in a college history class it's a good book he gets shot in the neck wow. I, I can do a brief summary of the spanish civil war it's, it was anarchists versus fascists well it, it was, was communists versus they also fascists. talk about the republic so, like, in the book so I don't know what that means. Is the well, Republic Franco's Basically, thing? the Republic was before the war. Didn't uh, they have a king? They, they had a king forever. They, they still a king. have a king. Well, they didn't for a while, but the king Oh, got, yeah, but they, they brought him back because no one knows. He's like, well, even longer afternoon naps if I'm king. And they're like, I'm, <laughs> oh, shit. All right. But I, th- I, I think basically there was some... There was, Spain has always hated itself. Like it's made of a bunch of places that hate, itself, hate each other. They don't want to be a country, but they are forced to be for some reason. And a pesky basically, there was a there was an election, and you know it was basically around the time of all the left versus right struggle starting in Europe, just a little bit earlier. And the right was basically like they narrowly lost an election, and then Franco's like, "Fuck this, we're taking over, we're doing a coup," and they did a coup, and uh, the left was like, "No, let's not do that." So they had a very, very complex war where it was basically like the 
the the right was basically the fascists and other right wing groups like the church who was pretty still is pretty right wing but was way more in Spain um the rich people who just didn't want stuff to change really and were more okay with fascists rather than a leftist uprising and would you know take all their shit and they had a horrific war for a long time and the left was basically as always divided amongst itself to such a degree that it could never come together and fight as one very well. It was like the anarchists versus the communists versus the socialists, all versus the fascists. And in the end, the fascist won because also the Nazis helped them out and everyone else didn't help out the non-fascists very much because they didn't want to get involved too much. And that is a very, very bad watered-down <laughs> version of mm. what happened in the Spanish Civil War. If you just wanted to know poquito amount about uh just just a poquito one poquito uh, i think he was president at some point president poquito juan, juan poquito one one <laughs> <laughs> damn you so if you want to know more about the spanish civil war don't trust us is the disclaimer nate no get us back on track though so okay i have a beer for that uh what's the name daniel <laughs> <laughs> this beer is called back on track uh the uh daniel Manages to actually find out some information, some very preliminary information about Julian Carax. Carax. I'm not saying it right. I will never. Carax. I'll just just fucking call it that. Uh, He found some preliminary information that he, first of all, that kind of matches something in the book. The main character's mother tells the main character on her deathbed, um... You know, your real father was a soldier out. It was some is somebody else. He smelt of elderberries. <laughs> <laughs> and, you're, and, and she was a hamster. And he was talking to a hamster literally at that moment. Um, so he finds out a little bit, which means he finds uh, he finds a picture of him when he's young uh, of uh, of Julian Carax when he was young with that next to a very very pretty lady. And finds out that he moved all the all the publisher knew that he had moved to that Carox had moved to Paris around the year nineteen nineteen. But he manages to track down a little bit of information. He the Daniel manages to get the find out where his old apartment was and then get the um caretaker landlady person to like let him in and he goes into the the apartment where he used to live and there's just most and it's still there, even though he's literally. It's been like fifteen years since. Well, it's like been it's been years. like fifteen years since the father died, or maybe there ten years so or whatever. Like, because it's on. It isn't like on top of the the store that the father had. Yeah. So this is like nineteen fifty. So it's been like thirty years, and the the apartment is still being kept up. So apparently the rent is still being paid, and somebody the landlady says occasionally somebody goes in there. And he, and he manages to get, they manage to go in and kind of look around. Most of the things are kind of covered up, but there's one room that's just full of crosses. And like, oh, that's very weird. Not at all horror movie shit. Not in Spain, though, actually. There's a lot of crosses. No, yeah. <laughs> that's totally normal. But there were an even like above average number into of crosses. The things. Yeah, it's, it's, even just for one, you know, for that particular room. Uh, he, and he manages to find out like where, he manages to find Nuria at that point. Right, it's either through like the the wasn't Nuria the daughter who's paying the of rent? the fucking She's the daughter yeah. of the, the daughter, daughter who runs the, the cemetery. Yeah, and he told him information, and he's like, my daughter knew Julian Carx because she was his like translator or something. 
because he wrote a bunch of books. And did we mention that the burnt face guy, his goal is to get every copy of the books and destroy them? I don't know if we actually said that. If we didn't, we did now. So he manages to find Nuria, and who is this, like, older lady, but is still very attractive. Uh, um, cougar. Says it only about a thousand times. There are only hot or ugly ladies in, in yep. this book. Or, or really, in the, you, you were just, or men, or men as well. They're either, like, incredibly attractive or incredibly <laughs> or they're ugly. they're third-degree burn victims. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, really, it's the other, like, everyone's really good. Like, even... That used to be very attractive. Even, even <laughs> the fuck, oh, we don't know that yet. But, yeah, even the guy who was homeless and, like, torture, political, you know, POW and tortured and, like, he's... Even he gets good looking. His body looks like hamburger. Oh. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Though he did have my favorite line in any book I've ever read, I think, when he was arguing, he was talking about politics, and he called someone a fascist buttock polisher. Fermin <laughs> <laughs> uh, did have a lot of really funny one-liners. He, he had this one. My favorite one in the book was, he said, A mysterious breath of air wafted through the hall. It smells odd, Fermin remarked. Like a rancid fart from a councilman or a lawyer. <laughs> there's also a lot of farts in this book. I'm trying. There's a lot of farts. Uh, yeah. wait, a lot. Wait, there's a just just a random. I think this is going to be the same part, but just like somebody, some random old lady. It's like somebody's mom that's being taken care of. You don't want to dog yeah. Oh right? yeah, yeah. And it's just like she's just described as just having terrible. Oh, farts. I have the quote. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Actually, there are two good his ones. Deaf, when she, drink, she drinks herself to sleep. His deft octogenarian mother, known in the neighborhood as La Pepita, who was famous for letting off hurricane-force wind, <laughs> capable of stunning the sparrows on her balcony and sending them spiraling down to the ground. Just, oh, there's another... I thought you were talking about the one later where it talks about a lady who drinks herself one, to yeah. sleep and she's uh, blasting holes in the upholstery of the couch. Yeah, they, they ask, like, how, oh, how, and how's your, and how's your mother? He's like, oh, still pull it, putting bullet holes in the upholstery. <laughs> oh, I found that quote. I found that quote. I, I also highlighted it. I think it's the same lady. The neighbors oh, yeah, have yeah, doped her with lady. shots of brandy. And when I saw her, she had collapsed onto the sofa and was snoring like a boar and letting off farts that pierced bullet holes through the upholstery. <laughs> True to character. <laughs> mean i'm going to ask you to look after the shop today like they're just like that's yeah that sounds about right <laughs> one of those like details that did not matter at all oh they matter that's what really matters this is what paints a word picture it does, paints a indeed. word smell <laughs> <laughs> a word aroma to scratch and sniff <laughs> it's a 4d book so Daniel manages to find nuria who knows a little bit about him tells a little bit of backstory about the publisher but then not that much. And then um, with the help of uh, Fermin, they managed to find the school. Managed to find, they managed to find the school that Julian Carax went to. And they managed to find someone who works working there, um, Father Ramos, who actually w- w- also went to the school at the exact same time and knew him and actually provided a bunch of backstory. And so this is one of the times where you get a backstory dump. <laughs> so I want to call it that. Decker. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say he's a clergy member who works at a school. Do you think it's is it Ramos or is it Ramass? Uh, because it could be. But you get a you get a, all of a sudden in the book a huge section in italics that has like no paragraph breaks and it just goes through. 
just and, and this happens a bunch of times in the book where you just get like page after page after page of just like oh and here's a bunch of backstory so instead of finding out instead of the main character finding out just like a few of these details at a time or like yeah or like one detail or a few details like you get this huge giant thing so you find out that julian was you know um uh, so his father was a hatter was a hatter no telling on how crazy he was. But he did get pretty mad at that. some things. <laughs> he was pretty mad. Um, because his mom, uh, he, what you find out this thing from that's also in the book, the shadow, in the book, within the book, The Shadow of the Wind. Got to make these things. So in the, the, the fake There's book, like three layers of story of in this book. Yes. It's, it's, it's like a matryoshka. That the, um, finds out that Julian's mother did, in fact, cheat on his father. And that his father, the the hat maker, the hatter, isn't actually his father. And his father was a total, well, I mean, he's a total asshole. I mean, he'd be pretty pissed. But, and was really mad at him. But then, so when Julian is a young teenager and he's working in the hat shop and a this rich, fancy guy comes in, you know, one of the wealthiest men in the city whose name is Jorge Aldaya. No, no, that's the, that's the. That's the, the son. son. The He's son. Don the older Eldaya. Mr. Eldaya. He comes in to, and then Julian is like, oh, okay. And he's just kind of like telling him jokes and is, doesn't think of him like, think of him as a, like this, you know, super important guy. And then, the, and then this rich guy is like, oh, son, you look like a, you look like a great, great kid. Why don't I, why don't I take over your education? And why don't I bring, why don't I have you go to the, why don't you go to the same amazing private academy that my son goes to. Well, the thing that helps Daniel, Daniel, the guy is like super rich and powerful and Daniel talks to him with no ass kissing. And it's like, and the guy's like, I know I, that's how I, I wish everything was like that is basically his response. Cause the dad, he's getting his hat measured for a hat, his head measured for a hat. And then, and the dad's like, we can't fuck this up. This is a really big contract for hats. <laughs> it is. He might be buying ones of hats. And so he's like, Dad, I measure better. He's like, you're right, son. And the guy's like, why are you sending this boy to measure me? He's like, why are you worried about that? You are bald. <laughs> you're going to look like an <laughs> asshole if you don't have a hat on. And he's like, good point. I'm going to send you to prep school. <laughs> but also, so on the... First day, not when it's the first day, but near the beginning of, you know, his like sort of high school career, he goes to the house, the house of this rich guy and, and sees the daydreamiest girl named Penelope. Penelope. <laughs> who, um, this is where it almost got magic also because it, because Tuldan was instantly in love with her. And then he also was like, I've been dreaming about her my whole life. But then Mostly Penelope says, <laughs> but then Penelope says the same thing. Like, oh, I've been, I you know, we find out later in the book, several hundred pages later, or a hundred pages later, that she also immediately was in love with Julian because she has been dreaming about him her whole life. Which is like, ah, that's weird. I had a theory about that because I was also, I also thought that. I didn't know what this book was about, but then Nate said, oh, it's a fantasy book, and we were talking about it before we, we read it. That's not on a podcast. It was just us talking. But And so then I was looking for the fantasy, and I saw this. But then I realized the flashbacks that people have aren't all accurate. 
they lie, they get information wrong, they leave out shit. So that's what I think happened. Like they're just he's just remembering what Julian told him. And Julian is had a, has a very active imagination. Like Julian was always imagining things and writing stories and um that's why he probably said this. It's also the kind of shit fourteen year olds say to each other. That and like smell my every finger. taking back Sunday song. Cute without the E. <laughs> cut. That, that's a that's a song. Cute without the E. Par- parentheses cut from the team. I think is the full title of the song. Or cutting and crying, probably. It's cutting, cutting and crying, and uh, being sad that my parents' house on Long Island isn't nice enough. I think that's really what every. Uh, I'm going to expel my grief at hot topic. I need to get my ear pierced at Clash Accessories at the strip mall because <laughs> I'm so angsty. I'm going to beer because oh, goddamn my thirsty. As they're going around here, they're trying to learn things. I was going to, I could use this pretty much anywhere in any book ever, but this book has a lot of books about learning and shit and solving a mystery and trying to enhance your mind. That's <laughs> keeping the faith. Uh, and so this is Enhance Your Mind from Other Half. An imperial IPA that's ten percent alcohol. That I, I had, uh, I had seven more of these. I didn't even realize how fast those went. Oh my god! Not today. Okay, <laughs> but 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 in this week. Oh, it's it's very early in the week, Michael. Well, no, in the <laughs> since we last saw it, like I bought it, I picked it oh, last okay. Tuesday. This is a great. I mean, this this clearly must be like one of their oat cream things. It doesn't say it on here, but it has it has the the different kind of body. I'm looking up if they have any information. I feel like I used that for an episode. I wouldn't be surprised. Or if I didn't, I just bought some and then drank them before and made you, it on. You an probably episode. would have bought it at the same time you bought the uh, Daydreamiest. Because they probably it's, yes. I bought when I got those. Um, it doesn't say it's with anything in it, but it, it is. It does have a real creaminess to it. Yeah, so this is great. Uh, this 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 beer is uh, made with all like the, the usual. Hip New England hops, Citra, Motuka, Simcoe, Mosaic. So it's super tropical, but it, it does have an like a you know a ten percent thick body. Like many of the men specify, they like the women in this book, and uh, it, it's it's really good. I wish I had enhanced my beer fridge by buying more of this. So uh, I forgot where we were, Nate. Sorry. It's it's actually pretty hard to keep track, um, kind of what happens because things are happening in you know two different storylines that very much mix because they kind of have to do with each other. So at the same time that, uh, 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 we mentioned Fumero, yeah. Daniel. At the same time that Daniel and we have not done Fumero yet. So at the same time that Daniel and Fermin are going around finding this, that they also find out that this that there was a kid at the same school who really, really hated Julian and actually tried to kill him. Later, 20 years later, he's, he's joined with the fascists in the Civil War, and he's the one that, that tortured Fermin. And now he's a police inspector, but he's also ooh, extremely... He, he's really out to try and find Julian Carax, trying to find out what happened to him, and he's basically the, every stereotype of a dirty cop, especially in a fascist regime regime with a secret police where the police can pretty much murder anyone at will. Well, he comes in at one point to Julian's, not Julian, fuck. Well, Julian and Daniel uh, parallel each other in many ways, so it's easy to confuse them. But he, he 
goes into Daniel's bookshop when no one else is there. And he's like, hey, you should not keep company with the people you're working with. And Daniel's like, I don't know what you mean. I have no company. And he's like, you're a shitty liar. It's that shitty dirtbag commie that you have hanging out here and that gay dude. And he's like, the guy who makes watches? He's like, oh, yeah. And they call him a whole lot of mean things that are definitely homophobic. And then, like, the next day, you find out that that guy was performing at, like, some sort of drag show, essentially. Uh, And the Fumero has him arrested and, like, thrown in a jail cell where he is violently raped by all of the inmates in the cell on as a message to Daniel. Like it says, the guy has a, 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 a severe or like an unnaturally severe rectal tear or something like that is the line that gets used. Mm, yep. And you're like, Jesus Christ. Uh, so he's, you know, so now a Fumero, like, you know, in terms of like your true, like who's the villain in the book? It's kind of complicated because you thought the villain was, was the, the guy with no face, L- Lusain Bolt, whatever the fuck his name was. <laughs> <laughs> he was. He's just not fast enough to run into that burning building. But that guy is the villain because he's trying to destroy the book and he's threatening Daniel. But now you have this other guy who's like a police state, you know, fucking whatever the fuck Franco was, asshole, you know, Spanish Gestapo, Gestapo-O. Yeah, much. And... El Stapo. El St- <laughs> <laughs> the Gestapo. And he is uh, you know, like, oh, man, that's much heavier. But they don't actually worry about Fumero too much. He's just kind of in the background for a lot he of the more an issue later on. Yeah, he kind of fades away. Like, for such a serious thing, and they're like, I'm just going to go get on this tram and go talk to a person in an old, in an old mansion for instead and not worry about that. YOLO. So you find out from this story that that the you know childhood friend tells is that Fumero was there at the school and he loved Penelope. He was also the fa- he was also the son of like the janitor, so that's how the only way he got in or something like that. Uh, but he loved Penelope, and Penelope is going to have a big like birthday party or something like that. I forget how old she is. I don't know. Uh, she's going to have this big party and invites kind of all the kids in the school. And Fumero's mother is like, oh, we're finally, you're going to the rich girl's party. We're finally getting into high society. And buys him a sailor suit to yeah, wear. Like first coat. Which is like, <laughs> and then, not which is both embarrassing. Then it turns out the sailor suit doesn't fit and has to be like, you know, altered or basically taped together at the last minute or something like that. And so he shows up late. Is this when he sees Julian and Penelope? Yeah, but they also had forgotten their invitation, so the servants don't let them in and just insult them. So they're just getting cast away. And, like, there's a whole, like, other bunch of crap leading up where the mother is someone who's, like, clearly an aspiring social climber but like just wants to do it by like being a hoochie and like like wearing no clothes and like having people see her in her underwear because she thinks that's how it works like she'd have to wait until the 20 to 2000s for that to be a strategy to get famous but in 1940s spain 19 no 19 teens spain that didn't really cut it and then as they're finally getting like ejected as as uh the 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 liveried uh staff mock them he glances back and he sees Julian and Penelope just f- making out as only high school students can. 
in a window. <laughs> and he's like, God damn it. This is adding insult to injury. And then the next day, he actually try, literally brings a gun to school and tries to kill him. Way ahead of his time. Tries to kill yeah. Julian. All <laughs> <laughs> right. Columbine's it. You, you, I was going to try and make a Columbine joke myself, but you beat me to it. Well, he Columbine's his rage. Oh, I'm sorry. Combines his rage <laughs> at these different issues. <laughs> but, he's, but he hates Julian for like the rest of his life. And then, and then he gets kicked out of the school. Like completely. Julian he gets, gets kicked, kicked out. out. Of, no, oh no, actually, uh, Fumero gets kicked out. Oh, okay. Out of I'm sorry for jumping Okay. So, what's going to happen is, and you find out in a, you're going to find out this stuff in a slightly different order, but whatever. I'm just going to tell it. So, you then they, Daniel and Fermin, manage to go to a insane asylum where they manage to find out where a maid that used to work at the Aldaya's place, who was Penelope's. Yeah, Aunt Jacinta, where, where... She's not called Aunt Jacinta. <laughs> She's just Jacinta. Is, that, is it like Jacinta? I don't know how you pronounce J in Spanish. Real question. It's probably Jacinta. Jacinta? I don't know. We can say, just say Jacinta. It's fine. Anyway, she was the main governess for Penelope, and she tells this whole story, and she was like clearly completely crazy. You get uh, too much backstory for her, but she Before believed... we get to her, we missed the most important character of this whole book. The man which who is... would only let them find her. <laughs> Yeah, it's like they're trying to find her in the asylum, and the old guy's like, "I'll tell you where she is." He's like, "Okay, like, you're doing something for me." He's like, "Why? Like, you gotta bring me a big thick hooker." It's like, "Oh, okay. Well, uh, yeah, we promise we'll bring one later." It's like, "All right, she's upstairs," and you think they'll never bring that guy back, but it comes back around, and it's beautiful. But while they're, <laughs> but but while they're talking to him. The other inmates are farting horrendously, <laughs> and like there's a, the description of it. Like, I, I gotta find the quote where it talks about like the virtuosity of his rectum or something like that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> they're like, listen, I could help you if you get me a hooker, or you could just keep listening to these guys fart. That's those are your options, and like, well, you could do both. Uh, hey, here's here's the. Quote. Here's the quote. Juanito and his gang of inhalers were still howling with laughter. The soloist then gave off an encore, more muted and prolonged than the previous one. It sounded like a hiss, emulating the puncture of a tire, and proved that Juanito's control over his sphincter verged on virtuosity. (laughs) (laughs) Ah... It's such a serious book, but there's so many weird passages about farts. A lot of farts. Then he tells me, "Oh, she's upstairs." <laughs> she just, <laughs> oh, that whole scene was unnecessary. We would have never got there. I was also like, "But wait, how are we gonna? How are we gonna sneak a prostitute past the nuns who run this place? We'll figure it out. A we'll never pages. be able to do that." And Fermin is like, "We'll figure it out. Don't worry." Like, I want it. to have it off with a woman who has teeth and won't pee on me. That's, that's his demand. It's a tall order. In a, in a hospice? Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Finds Jacinta. Well, and she tells this pretty long backstory about how um, she either could never have a child herself, but then she believed Penelope was a real child. And so for the span of years, she was helping Julian and Penelope basically find times to make out while they're, and well, do more they're than that, in the house and, and she's like covering up for them. 
they find that out. They also find out maybe either at this time or just before or just after that there was a plot. There no, so there was a plan by Julian and a couple of his friends, including Miguel. Miguel. The, the the guy Mikhail, who likes oh, yes. Nietzsche, right? Is that that was yeah. that one? Yeah, so Mikhail, that they are going to uh, arrange for Julian and Penelope to run away together, run away to Paris, in fact, and they have this whole plan, and they figure it out. And Mikhail, because he's very rich, he's kind of like, I will, I'll, I'll give you some money. It's fine because Julian doesn't have any. And that they're going, they have just planned and like, okay, we're gonna go next week. But we can't see each other. And then he tell, and then Julian tells Penelope, yeah, we can't see each other for six days. We have to just lie. We have to just play it cool for six days, and then you'll meet me at the train, and then we'll take the train to Paris, and we'll hide, and we'll be together. And they're all like, and they're like sixteen at this point, seventeen. But the, but but because they're like, we can't see each other for six days. I'm gonna miss you so much. They fuck. They're on the. On the floor? I forget, yeah. I forget exactly where it was. They were teenagers. It was anywhere they could be. <laughs> but then they get caught. They get caught by her mom. And it's not like most teenage boys' fantasies these days, apparently. She doesn't join in. Instead, she is horrified and she runs... The mom is... Uh, isn't she American? Isn't the mom... Uh... No. No, that is a different there's a different person who marries the, the Philadelphia lady. She's like just some throwaway character. This is just the mother who's like just dumb. And just, you know, is runs around with her fancy jewels on and is only in the story basically for this purpose. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. When the father comes home, he is really mad and, like, basically really locks... Really mad. It, yeah, he hits her really hard. And then lock basically they lock her in her room and, like, don't come out. They do call a doctor. And then, like, yep. Uh, and she might be pregnant. Oh, I mean, that was pretty quick to be able to tell that, but, you know. It's Spain. They know. He was shooting that live, live jizz. He was a teen boy. It was teeming with life. <laughs> Quite virile. It was like those uh, Super it's Balls you get at the grocery store quarter machines. The what? Super Balls. Those oh, God, things. yeah. It's like that. Just Shazam. <laughs> so, uh, and then you kind of don't find out what exactly what happens next. You don't find exactly what happens next for for another, like, couple hundred pages but anyway, you can Julian, assume he's very pissed because this is still highbrow people in deeply Catholic Spain in the in the teens, and it's so. and it's like nineteen eighty. But we are, yeah, we so. also already know that she never makes it to the train. We knew that before because there was like the love letter that, that, that was yeah, left in the apartment, and but, so when he gets home, he finds out that the father has like told that he's told Julian's father about the thing, and then he's going to be sent to the army. So the mother is like, "Okay, you have to escape," and Julian's like. I can escape. I was I was going to escape anyway. And so Julian goes to the train station and waits for Penelope, who never arrives. And so he just kind of gets on the train by himself and goes to Paris. And that is so he doesn't get drafted, doesn't have to go into the military. Which was originally the father's plan, because the dad was like, oh, my fucking fake bastard son here doesn't... He sucks, and he thinks he's highfalutin and doesn't want to make hats. I'm going to make him join the military. And then... Don fucking Aldaya was like, no, you will not be cannon fodder. I will help you. And then it's like, oh, you fucked my kid. No, no, actually, you're going to, yeah, I'll, I'll actually expedite that. I have that kind of pull. So there's a lot of reversals of fortune for Julian during this passage. 
Indeed. And then after that passage, suddenly uh, suddenly a bit of the story is actually about Daniel and his new love named Bea Wolf or Bea Trees, who um, is the sister of his friend Tomas, who is also barely ever in the novel. But the only reason he ever became friends with Tomas is Bea, because as kids... He had insulted her somehow, like made fun of her. And then Tomas, who was like a child with a pituitary gland issue and was like way <laughs> bigger than everybody, just beat the shit out of Daniel. <laughs> and Daniel's father was there at like in the schoolyard fight, egging it on. <laughs> but Tomas is actually a gentle soul. Oh, who Tomas's just, father. Tomas's father. Sorry. Yeah. But Tomas is a gentle soul who just wants to like tinker and make like radios. Uh, and. <laughs> Like he's not. I, I make it make it sound like he's like extremely autistic or something. Like no, he just wants to. Like he might be a little bit. He might be on the spectrum, but he really like, just wants to. Daniel's his only friend, and he sits in his room building intricate machines in silence most of the day. And when the father like got him at one point, when the father would get him uh, tutors, the kid would only speak to them in Latin, <laughs> so they, they wouldn't <laughs> he wouldn't have to deal with them. <laughs> but because but then you know days later in the kind of thing that never happens in real human life tomas is like i'm sorry i beat the shit out of you do you want to be friends now and he goes like that would be great and uh they're friends but then he meets he runs into Bea somehow and she's really hot she's so hot she's the daydreamiest just like everyone else and so they first, um, so Daniel kind of be first is friends, and it's like, oh, and everyone is finally like, oh, you finally have a girlfriend. She's not my girlfriend. <laughs> and he brings her Yet. to the cemetery of forgotten books, and she's like, oh, I'll let you, you can pick a book. And he, she manages to go right to the shadow of the wind and pick it up. And he's like, oh, any book except that one. Sorry. Because he has hidden it here so that the guy who's burning books can't find it. And it just happens to turn out that her father works for a real estate company that happens to own the old Aldaya mansion and happens she goes there and steals the key and then they go and like literally, so they literally have a whole, uh, you know, Empty fuck mansion. I have a beer for this. Oh my God, you have empty fuck mansion ale. But first, <laughs> no, no, go on. I, I can wait. I, I can wait on the beer. Keep going. So they, so they, she gets the key, and then they go in and they like look at the the look at the empty mansion that's been there. It's and it's like haunted, I guess, or everyone thinks it is, and it hasn't been sold in like you know twenty years, and it's just kind of sick. So they then they go down to the basement, and then they see. First, first the crazy weird guy with no face is there, right? Isn't he? But also there are um, graves, and one of the graves says, "Yeah, yeah, one of the crypts in the basement." It says Penelope, right? Because in all of their um, witness testimonies they've gotten, everyone's like, "I don't know what happened to Penelope." We don't know. No one heard her family moved to America. Did they go to Argentina? Argentina, Argentina, right? They They lost all their money, and the dad left. Oh, we're going to go to Argentina to get more money. Just gonna. Graze cattle. It's going to run a German immigration service. Oh, man. Can I just tell you a real fast story? My wife's family is from uh, South America. And she just realized, like, she went there in the 90s. 
And we were talking about trips the other day that we that we've been on, and they were like, "Oh yeah, like we went on that trip to see Aunt So and So in like 1994, and we went up to the mountains to that cool village that was like this weird German village." I was like, "Holy mm. shit!" Okay. <laughs> and, <laughs> and they're like, and I'm like the Nazi village, and she's like. Oh, did you not see that village? <laughs> did you not see that coming yet? Right? That, that German village? Huh, I never connected that. <laughs> and neither did her parents, though. They were all just like... A uh, whole village of summer homes of just Germans. But they live here all year round. <laughs> Germans who married Argentine women. That's strange. <laughs> Like literally, that was that was three days ago. <laughs> it was like, and just crates of gold with swastikas on. A lot of really nice lost artworks. <laughs> yeah, the Hindu swastika it goes the other direction. It's just you know, <sighs> details. It's a stamp, so you use it as a stamp, yeah. and then it makes a real one. Well, it's like in uh, exactly. It's like in it's Australia, where like things things go around the, the other way in the in the sink, like the. <laughs> Yeah, the when you go to the other hemisphere, the, the swastika is turned the other way. That's 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 just yeah, that, make, that makes sense. That's math, I think. Uh, Gravity, I think. I think both. <laughs> so either that night or a couple nights later, they go back to and to for to, to investigate the house, and they uh, and uh, Daniel and Bea fuck on the bathroom floor, just like that song, Shaggy. It is shaggy, shaggy, yeah, the Shaggy song. But he's like, it was me. He tells all his friends, smell my fingers, it was me. It was definitely. I do have a beer for this, and it's not, it's not uh, that. So I think you said it, but she is engaged to a guy who's in the military. and then. And, I did not say this, so you should but say But Daniel it. is like discovering his inner Mac daddy, and he's like, come on, you don't like that guy. He's You, you kind of want him to die in the army anyway. Like, don't. <laughs> You want to bang me. The other guy does suck. The other guy, uh, I forgot his name. You never meet I'm going to call him Pablo. No, he definitely sucks. I'm going to call him Pablo because I don't know what his name is. But I think it, I'm, it's a, there's a non-zero chance it's Pablo. He's, I, I guess they're around the same age. I don't really know how old. Similar. Right? They're they're around. I caught the impression. Oh, who? Daniel and Bea? Bea, yeah. Bea's like a year younger or something like that. Okay. So um, they're both versions though. And uh, they have some sex. And would you say that, you know, he's a little green and he's on top? Uh, so <laughs> this is green on top. Uh, a double IPA from KCBC. It tastes less awkward than losing your virginity. That's for sure. Uh, KCBC, King, Kings County Brewers Collective in Brooklyn, New York. Green on top, double IPA. They don't. It says it's double dry hopped, double IPA with citrus Simcoe, Motuka, and Centennial. Uh, and it is 8%. You get a ton of the uh, citrusy uh, and tropical. I mean, I get like a lot of apricot and uh, orange flavors out of this. It's delicious. Great beer. Um, honestly, in many ways, better than when you lose your virginity because that's like really, really weird. Uh, this is great. Same amount of crying, though. Um, less for this. <laughs> less for this. But a great beer. But yes, he was, he was kind of green. And presumably he was on top, at least for part of it. Uh, and there's like a lot of like, I don't know if they were like. It's still the, it's still the teens. I don't know if anything else was allowed. No, he's, this is the 40s. 
Oh, so 50-50 chance. Actually, no. It was probably like 1955. Oh, fuck. It could have been in the butt. It could have been. (laughs) Things went wild in 1950s Spain. (laughs) She pegged him. Uh, (laughs) They didn't say that she didn't. Did not, did not, it didn't say who cried. So that's, that's that beer. <laughs> Thanks, KCBC, for, <laughs> for retweeting us. <laughs> There's a lot of cuck holding in this book. Did you guys notice that? <laughs> was a lot of people just banging on floors. Uh, and for at least uh, as far as paternity tests would prove, it was them. Um, but I like... When but they caught him on the counter. <laughs> when Fermin was giving advice to uh to daniel about banging women and he's like i know everything about women and he gives all this stories and uh this guy he's like you're you're you're, this is your girl this this hot 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 young thing that came to the bookstore the other day and he's talking about bea and daniel's like no she's getting engaged and he's like oh well is she not interested she's not interested he's like no she is she's gonna marry him and he's in the middle she's oh then he'll be easy to cuckold (laughs) Like, <laughs> as if that's a common verb that people use. I didn't. I didn't. I know. I know he didn't wear this, but in my head, in every scene, Fermin was wearing like a Napoleon style outfit with like epaulets and like a sash. He talks I like just, that. Yeah, I just envisioned it. Also, early earlier in the book, they bring Fermin to see a movie. They're like in. He had never seen one before, and we, a really funny line is like. It's like, you know, they're machines for everything. And Fermin says, kids won't be able to fart without a machine in the future. And then they bring her to, they bring him to see the, the movie with the American actress. I can't remember Vivian which one now. Lake? Vivian yeah, Blake? Something like that. There's a, they mention a few actresses Veronica that he's Lake? obsessed with. Something Veronica. like that. Yeah. And then she says like, and then he doesn't like movies at all until they see this one and the woman and with the, whoever one had really big boobs because he says those aren't breasts those are schooners <laughs> and then he loves movies after that that was the line those are schooners he sounds like the best friend in the world he sounds like a cool dude to hang out with yeah he's been through some shit and he'll say weird things and he's also interested in he'll he'll, uh, he'll go out and on a limb and do some really questionably legal shit sneak into a hospice and promise an old man a hooker or lie to the priest. <laughs> or at one point, you know, earlier on, we skipped over this whole part of like the, the P.O. box, which I didn't realize they had P.O. boxes in 1945 Spain, but whatever. Um, mm. I mean, maybe. It makes sense that they did. I just never really considered yeah, it. I guess so. And then Daniel's like, can you find out who owns this P.O. box? He's like, yes, I will speak to the postmaster. People tell me their secrets. And it just comes like... <laughs> Here it is. It is held by this man, and this is his address, which I'm sure you also know is fake. Like he just comes back with all the information about the fucking thing, like right away. So he's a hustler. He's 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 a pimp. He's a cool dude. We're still only unfortunately halfway through the plot, by the way. Oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> uh, so unfortunately, B's father immediately finds out, like figures out what happened because first she was gone late into the night. And came back very late. So first, the father is, of course, thinking, you slut. So Daniel calls their house, or he calls the bookstore. Daniel calls uh, their house. Their house. And the phone, somebody picks up the phone before they can, before anyone says hello. Daniel goes, B, B, how are you? 
Beatrice, are you are you okay? And the father's like, you fucking piece of shit. I know what you did to my daughter. It's like, oops. Oh, well. And then, and then suddenly says like, oh, and then a week later, I would be dead. Bum, bum, bum. And it's seriously like 200 more pages of the book. And most of it is all a letter, like one letter. And it was insane. So, okay. You find out from, uh, so Daniel goes to visit again, Nuria and tells her, oh, um, you know, people are looking for me or they're looking for you or they're looking for Julian. And she goes, oh, it's that. It's Fumero, isn't it? Oh, what have you done? You've led him to me. And then two days later, she's dead. Not only is she dead, but there is a, a newspaper, you know, front page of the newspaper that says, um, Nuria Monfort has been killed by suspected you know, suspect, suspected terrible person named, but they actually give a fake name, but it's actually Fermin in his picture of him as a young man. I think it was his real name. Fermin is his fake name. He's been using a whole bunch of There you go. Whatever his... One of his many names. Not the name that he's been called throughout the rest of the novel. This turns out to be his real name. And then you find out um, that, you know, of course, obviously Fermin didn't do it, that it was actually Fumero. But then... So Daniel goes to the, he goes to the funeral and then goes to, to her apartment. I mean, now she's dead, but goes to her apartment and sees that there must be somebody there and then goes in and sees that her father is there and he has a clearly book length letter that he <laughs> must, because <have. laughs> he's like, what he says is I have this, she wrote this letter. She gave me this letter yesterday or two days ago and said, if anything happens to me, give this to Daniel. But then, and then Daniel is like, so I read it and now I know. So then Daniel reads the letter and it is, must be a hundred pages. It's a novella. It is so long and it goes back decades. And this is where you find out all the rest of the backstory, just in one giant backstory dump. This, it's almost a front story dump. It's so, it, it comes around to the other side. It's almost like with this much of the book, it's almost like, well, you know what? Daniel's not actually the main character. It's really holy on. It's anyway, it's just, it becomes more, the book becomes more about him. Okay. So you find out all this stuff that Julian was living in Paris and he was playing, he was making a living by playing piano in a brothel. Nice. (laughs) But also writing books and they were getting published, but... And they were amazing, except not selling at all. They'd sell, they'd print, you know, 3,000, and they'd sell 200. And most of the books are just out in a warehouse somewhere, but Julian is like, never had any letters from Penelope, and he thinks she's still alive, or she's in South America somewhere, and he's all really sad. He's just He just seems sad. And then Nuria says, well, I, you know, I was working for the publishing company, in here in Barcelona, and then I went to see him, and then the she's like, "Oh, he has got a new book. Why don't you? Why don't you just go see him?" So she goes to see him, but she's learning all this stuff about him, loves his book. She's actually in love with him, but also she has become friends with Julian's friend, childhood friend Mikel, who's you know been supporting him like this whole time, and finds out, and she goes there, and then has enough, and basically she stays there for two weeks. 
and they did every night. We did forget one very important thing that we've already learned. I'm sure just just one. Then we're doing one very important thing. When before when Daniel went to visit Nuria, she told him, you know, I'm, I'm in danger, and also why Penelope's dad was so upset. Oh yeah, which is kind of a very central plot point, which is that uh, they he was very upset that she was banging Julian because Penelope was his sister because he was the guy who banged Julian's mom. So that's why he was been yes. taking care of him all these years. It's why he went into the hat shop and found the child and found, you know, Julian as like a young teenager and was like, you seem like a fine, upstanding young man. I will send you to my, send you to the prep school with my son because his actual son is just kind of dumb and doesn't want to go into the family business. But Julian is smart and the father is grooming Julian to take over the family business while not telling him you're actually my son. And then you find out at this point that that he was actually brother, that he was actually Penelope's half-brother. Isn't there something, like, Greek tragedy-like about this plot arc right here? You know, like... It, yeah. It, I mean, it is quite tragic, especially what you find out when you find out what happens to her. Of course. That is that is quite the level of a Greek tragedy. But there's something like Oedipus-like where the father tried to, you know, my, the, you know, I've, I have this bastard son, and I want to raise him like my own son, but I can't somehow say he is, but I'll introduce him to my daughter who is really smoking hot and nothing bad can happen. Oh God, they're, they're fucking almost the same. Oh age. my God. Yeah. They're, and she's oh, and she's pregnant. Oh, I'm a, I'm a grand uncle yep. daddy. <laughs> what does that make me? Grunkle. <laughs> Grunkle. So then, I mean, in this part goes on for a long time, you find out what happened to Penelope, which was her father locked her in a room, not only locked her in a room, but did, would, did not let her come out, like for days, for months, as she got pregnant. I mean, as she was pregnant and you know, per, in the pregnancy progressed and would not let her out, even when she yelled and screamed. And then finally, it turns out when she was actually having the baby, they still didn't listen to her. So at some point somebody finally goes and opens the door and finds both Penelope dead with the stillborn child. And so she's dead. That's that. That's why the, you know, that's why the graves were down in the basement crypt of the, of the mansion. And then you find out that the father is so sad at this point because both he lost the son that he actually loved and he lost Penelope and that he really kind of did that too. Cause you know, he locked her away and they went, they were, and he, and so the, her mother dies. The father and his older son, the one that's actually alive, they go on a they go and take the ship to America. But then the father just like kills himself, just jumps off the boat and and drowns himself. And the, when the son shows up at you know customs and probably Argentina or wherever they go or Cuba or wherever they wherever they end up, he's like, "Are you traveling alone?" And Johnson says, "Yes, traveling alone." And then manages to eventually get back to. Um, Barcelona, like 10 years later or 15 years later. So all that happened. Uh, and you find out that Nuria actually married Mikkel, married Mikkel. Yeah. And then, but he, cause he was in love with Nuria, but then eventually he gets actually pretty sick cause he has tuberculosis. And then eventually uh, this goes on and on. Julian does come back to Barcelona, but he's sort of in hiding, and this is also at the exact same time that the like 
that the, the Civil War is starting. And that there was whole thing about they thought he was dead because you find the story that oh he was dead, but that actually you find out through this that he was that he died in 1936 or something like that. But you find out that this actually not tr- that you find out that uh, it was Mikel that actually died because but he was pretending to be Julian at this shootout in a restaurant. In that you find out from before from early part in the book where Fumero. He he signed off on the death certificate, even though he actually knew it wasn't Julian. So Julian's living in hiding. But then Julian eventually, I'm just going through this as quickly as possible. He eventually finds out that Penelope is dead and nobody's told him this this entire time. And even the people that knew just didn't tell him. They kept the, kept that knowledge from him. And then he goes absolutely, completely crazy. And then he goes to destroy all his books. Goes to he finds the where the warehouse is, where all his books are being held, all the uh, unsold copies of his books, and then he tries to burn it down. But he's stuck inside, and somehow doesn't die from the fire, but is just like horribly burned all over his face. In that he is in fact the weird, crazy dude with no face that's from the beginning that was terrorizing Daniel. Like, where are the books? I want it, and I have to say. I called it. I knew right away. Me too, man. I, like, I right away. I was like, all right, clearly, Carrox isn't dead, and I bet this is him because yeah. that would be the right thing in a mystery twist ending. I didn't call yeah, it until and, the end, and he actually <laughs> hinted at. Oh, I'd already, I'd already thought of it in, in that first conversation between Daniel and the weird devil guy. Daniel goes, you know, why, why are you searching for Julian Carrox? Colbert Lucene. What was did, his name? Did you? Something like that. Did you know him? And the guy says, in a manner of speaking. And I was like, yeah, it's, fuck, it's him. <laughs> <laughs> it's him. And so you find out that, uh, and there's just like all of this backstory all at once. And there's like, okay, there's the shootout and it's actually alive. And then Fumero was uh, still looking for Julian because he's just a crazy guy who wants to kill him this whole time. And that he, after his horrible burns, he was living in Nuria's living with Nuria in her apartment, but she was locking him in. And so no, he was literally in the city in this like terrible burn state, but he wasn't leaving. So nobody would like wreck, you know, nobody was seeing him outside because he was literally stuck inside the whole time. And then we're coming very, we're coming close to the end. Then Daniel finds that he reads this whole like hundred page long letter <laughs> Because this just went on and on and on. It was, it was like chapter after chapter after chapter. And it's still just more of this letter. Um, and then... She put chapters uh, into her letter. How considerate. <laughs> In case you need to take a break. And then Daniel goes to... Fuck, he goes back to the mansion? Yeah, he goes yeah. back to the he, mansion. He goes looking for Bea, and she figures Bea, she's yes, got to be at the mansion. She's got to be there, because she hasn't been seen in days. She goes there, and she is there, except also... You can tell, oh, Fumero's here too. He's he's broken and he's he's looking for Julian and he's looking because he's actually you know the crazy burn guy. And then they're there and there's a fight, and then you know, Daniel could have just kind of gotten away and run away, but he didn't. He instead jumps on, cackles Fumero, but then you know, because Fumero's got a gun, but then Fumero shoots Daniel, uh, and he's shot like through the chest and dies. Except doesn't ex- quite die. That was a lie. Dies for a little bit. Dies for a little bit. He says his heart stopped for 62 seconds. Um, oh, some bullshit. And then eventually, but because because 
Daniel tackled Fumero. Julian was actually able to basically take him out, you know, and saves himself. Well, they or like impale like him like onto Hulk the strengths him. He like knocks him onto the statue, right? Because there was this whole passage in the middle of the book about the mansion and the statues that like spell out like a weird Jewish pentagram thing. Like there was like a six pointed star in a circle of angel statues, and it was like the angel mist yeah. house and in the in the yard. And then he he pushes him onto one of those, and he gets impaled on it, right? And it's like, wow, I guess that was foreshadowed. I don't really know uh, if I was supposed to get that out of it, but something like that. The and angel then... gave him a hand. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh God damn it! It was, it was impaled on the. Yeah, it's on like the hand. I'm saying, it's like an Arnold, 1983, <laughs> 1887 Arnold Schwarzenegger line. Probably every even the recent ones. And I mean, I, I hope he did it in his like, you know, state of the state addresses in California. <laughs> Like, <laughs> I'm trying to think of a good one. I don't know what kind of issues California was facing 10 years ago or so that Arnold Schwarzenegger would have dealt with. Uh, f- fires. Uh, it's always fires. It's, it's We're going to tell the fires, you're fired. <laughs> I would say, that would actually be really great. <laughs> a new program, we fire you. <laughs> you won't be back. <laughs> Like this one. So everything is just, everything is just I'll, a variation. I'll be back. That's all. Nutella okay. fires, hasta la vista, baby. <laughs> yeah, that sounds all right. We could have been speechwriters for a governor. <laughs> Call us. Um, Remember to answer on all forms. Who was your daddy and what does he do? <laughs> So then you basically get basically an epilogue where Daniel doesn't die. He is, he, that's, he's saved by the doctors. He gets to marry Beatrice and then they have a son who they named Julian. Uh, Daniel gives the pen, the magic pen owned by Victor Hugo, which we haven't mentioned. That was a whole thing. To Julian who, the crazy burned Julian who visits him in the, in the, down by the schoolyard. Fucking hospital. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then uh, Miriam, and then it's like sort of like Dennis, like flash forward another 10 years, and he's taken over the book business. And there's a little, there's also like, oh, and then Clara is just sort of like sad and lonely. Still blind, he though. Go see her. Still blind. Didn't get Still better. Still blind. <laughs> Yep. Ouch. And then basically the end. Oh, they get married. They get married. Yeah, they get married. Well, then he and takes then, his then. son to go to the library, the oh, cemetery. Right. It's like, oh, look where look. the book one, not the human one. They see the cemetery forgotten <laughs> it's your books. Time, kid. <laughs> to tell him to tell his ten-year-old son, you can pick any book, or it will find you, or something like that. But you can't tell anyone about this. Except, you know, but can I tell mom? Yes, you can tell mom, which was the, also the very, one of the very first lines of the book before. And oh, yeah. finally then, the end. And that part in the beginning, it's really heartbreaking because the dad's like, yeah, yeah, you could tell mom. She's fucking dead, you know. <laughs> what will you tell her? It was like really sad. I think that's how you find out the mom is dead. Mm-hmm. But yeah. here it's not quite the case. <laughs> Thank goodness. So finally... It's taken us over 90 minutes just to get through this I didn't part. hit record. Oh, shit. Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I will kill you. I, would, I, would, I, would, I might kill me. 
So what'd you guys think? So I did really like it. I'm like, I was definitely into it. I definitely wanted to know what happened next. And it does have a bit, a bit of a mystery novel. I mean, you wouldn't say it's a detective novel, but you know, it's a mystery novel for sure. I, as I've sort of mentioned already, the really large like backstory dumps you get where it's just hundreds of pages. I'm going to guess you don't like them since you're calling <laughs> dumps. <laughs> yes, I really, that's the part where not only did those extend the book by several hundred pages, but like it's, I'm just not a fan when authors do that. And it's and I was surprised that it was actually written so so recently that it was came out in 2001 and still is sort of written like that because I felt like it was very old-fashioned, old-fashioned way to do it. You know, because I remember criticizing these this exact same thing when reading Frankenstein, which came out in 1810 or something like that, where it had this similar thing where it was just page after page of just one character just telling their backstory. At that point, it was the monster telling his backstory. But this one was like, Oh my God, it's doing it even more. I was ready for the, by the time that very long last one happened, I was like, I am so ready for this book to be done. It's just, <laughs> it's just a really long book. I still enjoyed it though. I actually, you know, well, I guess one of the things that uh, a, a listener recommended we do is we recommend if you liked this book, you should read other books. Like these are other books we'd recommend or these are other things we recommend. So I've been thinking about that this week. And for this, I was thinking, you know, what came to mind right away was uh, Cavalier and Clay by Michael Chabon. Mm. Felt very, this felt a lot like that. And I loved that book. And I liked, and in this book too, I really liked the long backstories and unnecessary details about characters, about like who farts through the upholstery and uh, the, de- the guy who only has one ball. <laughs> <laughs> we skipped him. <laughs> There's a guy lost his lost like he's, that's uh that's the care that's Jorge's dad. Yeah, the guy. No, no, no. Um, uh, Fumero's dad, the caretaker. The guy who he lost like a hand and a ball in the Civil War or something or yeah. in, in World War One, I, I guess it was something. And then they just everyone's all like, oh, one testicle. Oh guy. no, no, he lost he lost his testicle was shot shot off by none other than uh, Teddy Roosevelt. Shot uh, off. Teddy Roosevelt himself. Right, yeah, at the in like San Juan Hill or whatever the fuck. Battle it was. of San Juan Hill. <laughs> Like, I loved that stuff. I thought that was great. I actually really enjoyed it. I, I This is a book that I, I kind of wish I didn't have to do for the podcast because I had to read it fast. I enjoyed all the details. I would have liked to not rush through it, and I had to rush through it to finish it in time to record it this week. I thought it was great. I really, I really dug it. I thought it was great. I just, for probably like, most of it, I kept thinking like, holy shit, this is still going. I mean, it was good, and I liked everything I was reading a lot. But I was never like, oh, good, I'm glad there's more. And I was like getting pretty tired of it until the very end. I did not guess that the melted face man was Julian. I was like, oh, okay, you got me. All right, cool. That's good. And I liked that a lot. And so it brought it back for me. But it, it was relentlessly long. But... That's my only criticism of it, and I, 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 like, I liked all the back stuff, too. It reminded me a lot of um, Love in a Time of Cholera. I can see that. With, like, these long, you know, multi-generational epics of elaborate stories and weird details about banging and poops. <sighs> who, who doesn't want a story about that? Everyone wants that. Uh, 
Did you think of him as Meltman from Action League Now at any point, Jimmy? He had the power to melt. As opposed to, what was the other guy? Like the naked guy? Uh, uh, the Flesh. The Flesh. Super <laughs> strong and super, and super naked. <laughs> Nate has no idea. Oh, my God. Most people have no idea. Not, not a clue. Kablam. This is a Nickelodeon <laughs> show from the late 90s, I guess, or mid to late 90s. Yeah, it was a sketch show with, like, they were in a comic book and it had a bunch of short episodes of different things. And one of them was superheroes called Action League Now, acted out entirely by someone's action figures. And they were all dumb. And the, and the, the, fl- the flesh was like a He-Man toy where they just took the loincloth off of it. <laughs> <laughs> and Meltman was a G.I. Joe that had been melted with like a magnifying glass. Yeah, I, 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 I agree that... I mean, I agree with what both of you are saying. I, I, I see that the criticism of the big dump of information, it, it feels a bit artificial. But I prefer that to an even longer scene where they just have a conversation with a guy who tells them that information. Oh, yeah. I'm sure there's a better yet op- option than either of those two, but that's that's like the, the, the default thing you could have, right? Is someone going, well, he was born in the summer of 1902. Is that right? Said Daniel. <laughs> like, I don't need to read that for fucking 30 more pages than is necessary. And I think the book could have been tightened up significantly still in in a sort of more not normal mystery novel but a sort of more modern mystery novel you are the the plot is like the main character finding out the clues and there's like a challenge or obstacle to overcome before you and then they only find out a couple of clues and that connects to something else and then they are sort of thinking their head wait a minute that must be just like this thing Instead, so this ha- that kind of happened in this book. Definitely, it was Daniel finding out this thing and finding the right person to tell him this thing. But then he would the stuff he found out was like he found out like fifty pages of information. Finally, that would come out all at once. That's the difference. Instead of a couple of important clues or one important story or a couple of pages of a thing that happened years ago, it was you know just took forever. That was the difference. I think, yeah, I think the book could have been shortened a, a great deal, and it wouldn't have lost much if you know he condensed that. And it wouldn't have been worse. I don't think. I mean, probably not. I like the writing. I mean, of course, we're reading a translation, so I like the translation of the writing. I guess you know, if I want to be really technical, yeah. Um, but I'm not going to go fucking learn Spanish because. Uh, or Catalan. Did he write in Spanish or Catalan? Probably Spanish. I think Spanish. I can't imagine it would have gotten published in Catalan and become a bestseller. That must be adding another whole layer of um, <laughs> difficulty there. Apparently, the guy spoke fluent English. Uh, he died. Yeah, he lived in L.A. He died in 2020 of butt cancer. And uh, he wrote three sequels to this, or like three other They're books like in the loose universe. sequels. Yeah, they're not some like, of them have Daniel as the main character, so they're like oh, they're, they're in they? the same yeah. they're in the same universe. I didn't want to read too much about them to know because I really like this. I actually kind of want to read those other ones at some point. Maybe not for the podcast, maybe just for my own fun. I know the second one is a little bit longer. Oh, this was long. This was like <laughs> close to six hundred pages. It wasn't difficult at any point. It was just a lot, and I did not budget my time properly for that. I did not realize how long it was. It was it was long. That's my only criticism of it. Anytime I sat down to read it, I enjoyed it. 
I wanted to read more of it. I really did. There was no point in the book where I was like, enough already. I dug it. Yeah. But I could also see that I could, I, but it could have, I'm sure there was a way to make it denser or just cut out some crap that we didn't need and make it a 400 page book instead of a 570 page book or whatever the hell it is. I'm sure that was possible. If you're not a avid reader, this will take you months. Yeah, it's, it's an investment. But a worthwhile one, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. If you have the time. The, what genre is it? Nate kind of said. It, it. I thought it was like a mystery book. But it also has that, as Nate said before, and Jimmy said, one of you said, that like multi-generational family epic feel to it. Because it also... Yeah. And then it also has this like weird story within the story within the story thing going on that is, you know, tough to keep track. It's not tough to keep track of. It's tough for us to recount it. And we're not doing a very good job of it, I'm sure. Uh, first, at least parts of the story, we're, we're leaving out salient details. If we if we told everything of the story, this, this episode would be fucking, what the pot, how much, how long was the audiobook? 18 hours I ever saw on some good read account? Uh, yeah, something like that. It's a long ass book. It's definitely, yeah, it's definitely faster to read it if you listen to the audiobook at 1x speed, it's faster to read it. But because hmm. when I... I never do that. No, I'm sure. No. <laughs> when I started reading the book, it was like 10 hours is what it was going to take me to finish it. And then I listened to the audiobook for the last 10%. But I'm going to go back tomorrow and read the other 10% because I want to put this on my list, but I have integrity, Nate. <laughs> so I'm going to do that. But I liked it enough that I don't mind. I'm not like, that's not a chore. Like I actually kind of want to read it and kind of savor the last bits of it and i do want to read the sequels i liked it i recommend it one year not this year no not anytime soon (laughs) definitely not but i don't need to rush it's not like he's pumping out anymore he's dead so there's there that is true there's the three and he wrote a couple of um like young adult novels that i'm sure aren't spectacular i think he wrote those before this and then this thing blew up and he's like i'll just stick with this then and they were published in english as a way to cash in Hmm. which i totally totally get and good for him i liked it i would recommend people read it and if you liked other big books like middlesex it's not quite as well written as middlesex it's not quite as well written perhaps as cavalier and clay but it's similar kind of book to those uh in terms of like Mm -hmm. the format and like finding out shit and it's going back and forth in time and it's not identical but those are the two that come to mind when i was that came to mind when i was reading it those books is there anything else that came to, for you guys? Well, as um, it did seem... Okay, it was historical fiction. It, it wasn't actually World War II historical fiction. It actually took place, you know, slightly different before and after and didn't have anything to do with World War II, even though it starts in 1945, and that's where I thought it was going to go. But it is. it was quite similar to, as you said, all the light we cannot mirror. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot about that joke. Yeah. And so I thought it was similar to All the Light We Cannot See, especially with the blind girl in the beginning. It's like, oh, well, it's just like that. Uh, similar to The Book Thief as well, which you said. I said this, by the way, for people listening, I said this in a text message to Nate and Jimmy. I did not say it on the podcast. We did not edit this that poorly. <laughs> that is not the, you're like, did he, did did say, he, that did he say that? <laughs> I hadn't actually read any of it yet at that point. So I was like, oh, okay. Nate, you still haven't read any of it. You listened. But go on. What were you saying? <laughs> it reminded me of other stuff, too, except now I can't remember what it reminded me of. Well, there's a lot of different parts of the book that could remind you of different things, right? Because this, this kind of 
a book with this kind of scope is going to have a lot of different feels, right? So there's the the young kid trying to woo the older deaf, uh, not deaf, blind girl. And there's a lot of different things that might fall into that kind of world. And then there's the guy, kid, and the weird man trying to solve a mystery kind of world. And then there's the really complicated... It's like five books in one. Yeah, and then there's like the really convoluted class drama of Julian Carax, and which we never even talked about how Carax isn't his name. It's like his last name was like Fortuny or something. And Carax... uses his mother's name. Yeah, he uses that name uh, because his father's a fucking monster. <laughs> and like we didn't even talk about how much he beats the mother to the... The mother was a piano teacher and he beats her so badly she can't play the piano anymore. Um, and... You know, those, those passages are really tough to read, actually. There's all these different parts, and in every one of them is going to remind you of something different. So there's there's a lot of different, you know, for this kind of a big book, there's a lot of different things that probably come to mind. And if I sat and actually, like, skimmed through my Goodreads list of things we've read for the podcast and, and just in general, I bet a lot of other books would be like, oh, yeah, and that too. It's a It's a book person's book, and it's about books and book people. So it's very meta. So if you want to read it, you should book on over to the library and get it. Because I'm a smurf yeah. and I'm just going to use the word book as a verb. <laughs> book on over to the bookstore. Or book your book at the bookstore. Just book and book it already. Book it right in its ass. <laughs> it's a book and good book is what we're trying to say. <laughs> Tell us what you thought. Send us an email to drunkguysbookclub at gmail.com. Or follow us on Twitter at drunkguysbc. Or go to Facebook and Instagram at Drunk Guys Book Club. And if you've listened this long, why not uh, drop us a review wherever you're listening? Just a round to five stars. One for each time we mispronounced a Spanish name in this book. They don't, they don't allow that many stars. Uh, or Estrellas. <laughs> you can be our friend in Goodreads and, and personally attack us for mispronouncing things. As our, book, as our book club friends, we have a group named after us. You can find it by looking up the words that constitute our name. Find those names be self-evident <laughs> and you can also support us over and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights so. we're mostly focused on that 21st amendment uh, on this podcast but uh if you want to support the podcast financially head over to patreon.com slash drunk book club and uh we would appreciate that but tell us what you thought no matter what and we like to hear from you and check out the hopped up network a network of independent beer podcasters and thanks for listening mm-hmm.